Tonight, our focus will be verse 6 in particular. But I do want us to read the first six verses again. Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. And again, our focus tonight will be especially verse 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work within our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. In verse 6, we learn that our death to sin has brought about a wonderful result. That our belonging to Jesus Christ has brought about a wonderful result. And what is it? It's that we now serve God in a new way. The word serve in this verse harkens back to Romans 6 and the picture of slavery that we saw there. We may have tried to serve God before we were saved, yet back then our service to God was, was not motivated by God's glory. Back then our service to God was not motivated by genuine love for God. Back then, before we were saved, any of our supposed service to God was under the, the old written code. It was according to the letter of the law. It was an attempt to meet the righteous requirements of God so that He would put His favor on us. Our past service to God was an attempt to create our own self-righteousness. In other words, our past service to God before we were saved was actually service to sin. Don't miss that. A person can do lots of Christian things and still be a slave to sin. I dare say that there are lots of people in our area who do not drink and do not cuss, and do not sleep around because they think not doing those things makes them a good person before God. They are serving their own pride by abstaining from these things. They are serving their own sense of self-righteousness by abstaining from these things. They are outwardly moral people, but if you were to go into their hearts to see what is there, you would still find a slave to sin. So two people can be doing service that looks like service to God. 
Two people can be doing the same act of service that looks like service to God, and yet only one of them actually be serving God. We all know this, don't we? Two people can put money in the offering plate, and only one person really be offering up worship and service to God. What's the difference between the two? Well, it isn't the act itself that's different, right? Maybe both people put the money in the offering plate. It's not what they do that's different. It's the way they do it. It's the heart attitude behind it. Look at verse 6 again. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. So this evening, I want us to focus on this new way of serving God, this way called the way of new life in the Spirit. New life is a part of it. New life in the Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life, so the Spirit is a part of it. But what does all this mean? What is this new way of service? Our outline for tonight is pretty simple. I want to show you first this new way of service promised in the Old Testament. This new way of service promised in the Old Testament. Number two, I want you to see it explained in the New Testament. And I want you to see it third, contrasted with the old way of service. So we're going to see it promised in the Old Testament, explained in the New Testament, and then contrasted with the old way of service. Um, Let's begin Number one, I'm going to show you just two key passages in the Old Testament that I think will help you see this new way of service promised. Look with me first at Jeremiah 31. Both of these passages should be passages that you are very familiar with. Jeremiah 31 is the first of these. While you're there or going there, I want us to feel... The context of Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah is a prophet of God speaking to the people of Judah as judgment is coming upon them. It is possible that the city of Jerusalem was in fact under siege as Jeremiah spoke these words in Jerusalem to people there. Already, death is in the air. This was a great time of fear for the citizens of Judah. Why was God going to allow Babylon? These were wicked men. Why was God going to let these wicked, pagan, immoral Babylonians come into Jerusalem, into the home of the people of God, and destroy them? Well, God had entered into a covenant with His people. He'd given them His law. A law which contained His commands, but also a law which contained His gospel about a promised one in whom all the promises He made to Abraham would come true. This covenant called on God's people to trust Him, to love Him, to believe on Him and to show that in faithful obedience. God's Old Testament people were to live moral lives 
And when they sinned, they were to offer sacrifices for their sins. They were to worship the true God and no others. And God had promised that if they did this, He would care for them. He would protect them. He would bless them in ways that they could not even imagine. The story of the Old Testament is a story of a people who did not truly trust nor love God. The vast majority of ancient Israel rejected their God and lived for themselves. They chased after other gods. They often gave themselves into rank immorality. There were some in Israel who kept the ceremonial commands of God. They never failed to show up on the day of the sacrifice. They never failed to keep the feast day. And they did all of that while at the same time hating their brothers and treating their servants with wickedness. Some were like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They were keeping the letter of the law, but their obedience was full of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness, and they looked down in contempt upon others. Later in Romans 7, Paul was going to tell us that the law is spiritual. That is, the law is not just a written code. There is something of God's Spirit in the law. And the law is to be obeyed in a spiritual manner. That is, the law is to be obeyed in a way that comes from the depths of your soul. The reason ancient Israel failed miserably to be faithful to God is that God did not have their hearts. He was not chief in their loves. They did not truly love God nor care for God, and therefore His law was never something that was pulsing within them. The law was just an external thing for them. The law was not in here. And so God was bringing judgment. Terrible judgment. And in the midst of this coming judgment, Jeremiah speaks of a day when God's people will be different. Look beginning in verse 31. Chapter 31, verse 31. Behold. Look. That's what the word behold means. Look. Behold. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And we're talking here about the visible people of God. Even in the Old Testament, there was a remnant. Even in the Old Testament, there were a few people who had already experienced something of what God is describing here. David 
was a man who had the law of God written into his heart. The law was not just an external thing for David. So David had experienced something of what God is promising here. David said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. But David and others like him were the exception to the rule. They were the rare remnant. They were the true Israel. But that's not what Jeremiah is talking about here. He's talking about the visible people of God. Israel as a nation. As a nation, Israel failed miserably to obey God because they did not really know God. They did not have their hearts And his law was not written on their hearts. But in the New Testament, in this new covenant, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up of those who do know the Lord. And by his spirit, the law is written onto their hearts, not just on tablets of stone, not just in the pages of a book, but the law of God written into their very souls. What is new about the new covenant? What is different about us who are New Testament people? Let me mention a few things from these verses. Number one, this new covenant cannot be broken. This new covenant cannot be broken. Look back at verse 32. Verse 32 says this covenant will not be like the one that God made with the houses of Israel and Judah. The covenant that they broke. So God said, there's this covenant that I've had going on, and they've broken it. I'm about to make one that's different from that. It cannot be broken. God's people in His new covenant will never, ever turn away from Him. They are His forever. Here is God bringing judgment on an Old Testament people. God will never bring His wrath upon His New Testament people. He may bring discipline, but He will never bring wrath, for they will never ultimately turn away from Him. Jesus keeps His people saved. In the New Covenant, number two, the law of God is put into the minds and written onto the hearts of God's people. Let me say this again. It isn't that this had never happened before. It isn't that that in the Old Testament the Spirit never came and wrote the law of God into somebody's hearts. So there are some people who teach that. There was a remnant in Israel who had already experienced this. Those who argue that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began a work that had never happened before, they're making an argument that cannot be held up. Look at Isaiah 51.7 really quickly. Isaiah 51.7. Just to see that there were a few people who had experienced this work of the Holy Spirit in writing the law of God on their hearts, this had happened before. Isaiah 51, 7, God speaks directly to that remnant. Here is a word from God to those who do know Him, to those who do love Him among ancient Israel. Look at what He says, Isaiah 51, 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people... In whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of a man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. 
So yes, there were some in the Old Testament of whom we can say that the Spirit had done this work of writing the law on their hearts. What is new in the new covenant is not that the law is going to be written in people's hearts, but that this is going to be true of all of God's people. It won't be just a tiny little segment of His covenant people. All of His covenant people will have experienced this. In the New Testament, God's people are to be found in churches. And churches are to be made up of true believers. Those who prove themselves not to be true believers are not to be made parts of those churches. God's people, visibly expressed in local churches, are to be those people who have had the law of God written upon their hearts. It will be a universal reality, is what God is teaching in Jeremiah 31. All of them will have the law of God written on their hearts. Notice in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31 back there, notice God is not promising a new law. He's not saying, I'm going to give you a new law to put on your hearts. The law of God in the Old Testament included moral commands. It included civic commands that stressed decency and order. The law of God in the Old Testament included ceremonial commands that preached the gospel through the priesthood and through sacrifices. God does not promise that in the New Testament He's going to give a whole different law. Rather, He promises that He's going to take the law that was written on stone in the Old Testament and He's going to put it into the hearts of all His people in the New Testament. It's not a new law. It's a new place for the law. God's people have true morality, true decency, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ written into their hearts. So number one, this covenant will not be broken. Number two, this covenant will have the law of God written on the hearts of all who are a part of this covenant. Number three, in the new covenant, all of God's people will know Him. All of them will know the Lord, right? No longer will one have to say to another, know the Lord. There will be no evangelism in the church of Christ where Christian is pleading with another Christian to know the Lord. The very fact that they are Christians means that they know the Lord. The very fact that they are a part of the people of God means that they know the Lord. Isn't it strange to think that it wasn't like that in the Old Testament? Just because you were a part of the Old Covenant people of God did not mean that you had a relationship with God. That's different for us, isn't it? Number four, in the New Covenant, all of God's people will have their sins forgiven. See that at the end of the passage? All of God's people will have Him and will have their sins forgiven. Jeremiah promised a day when God's people would serve Him faithfully, never turning away from Him. They would serve Him from the heart. They would serve with their wills, His law being inside of them. They would know Him in faith. Their sins would be forgiven. This is a promise of that new day, that new way of service. A day in which people were serving God because they actually knew Him. Their sins had been forgiven. His will had been written into their very souls. It was their delight to serve Him. Now the only thing Jeremiah 31 does not say explicitly is that this new way of service is going to be the work of God's Spirit. Paul describes this new way of service as life in the Spirit. 
So we would expect there to be a word about the Spirit causing this to happen. Well, I don't think Jeremiah 31 is actually the passage Paul has in mind when he writes Romans 7, 6. I actually think he has in mind a parallel passage, Ezekiel 36. So go there with me. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. In this passage, Ezekiel is speaking about the very same theme that Jeremiah was just speaking about. This new covenant that's going to be made. This new day when God is going to establish a different kind of people to represent Him on the earth. Rather than an Old Testament nation, it will be a church, a people made up of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation assembling themselves together and living for God's glory. And speaking about this new covenant and this new covenant people, Ezekiel begins, look at chapter 36, verse 26. Verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And so here we we have the answer to the question, how is it that God's people will all become people who serve him from the heart? How is that going to happen? It's going to be through the spirit of God being put within them. This is why Paul can call this new life in the Spirit. Now, so there it is promised in the Old Testament, in the middle of judgment, because the Old Testament people of God had failed to serve God, had failed to love Him from the heart, had failed to keep His will. God promised a day when His people would would be made by the Spirit to keep His statutes. A day when God's Spirit, placed in their hearts, would cause them to walk in His ways. Now let's see it explained in the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to point you to just a couple of passages. Look with me first at Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Another passage that you should know very, very well, a teaching that should be very paramount in our lives as Christians. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. Verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This ought to be an astounding passage to us. And we find this same teaching all the way through the rest of the New Testament. If you love God... And if you love others, you have fulfilled all the law of God. If you try and fulfill the law of God without loving God and without loving others, you haven't obeyed it at all. Everything depends on this. 
The Ten Commandments are a great summary of what God requires from mankind, but Jesus sums it up all the more. Love God, love your neighbor. Now what this tells us is that if God is going to put His law within us, if God is going to cause us to obey His will from the heart, here is what He is going to do. He is going to fill our hearts with love for Him and with love for others. Here is how God causes His law to be written within us. He makes us loving people. The heart of stone is a heart that does not love God, does not love others, and that is death. But the Spirit of God takes that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to God, a heart that is sensitive to others, a heart that cares, a heart that loves. That is life. And how does the Spirit do that? How does the Spirit take us from being people who did not really truly love God and therefore we did not really truly love others. We used to just be in love with self and we served self and now God is going to make us loving people and in making us loving people he's going to cause us to fulfill his own law from within our very souls. How's he going to make that happen? Look with me at 2 Corinthians 3 and we'll see how he does it. 2 Corinthians 3, I could have turned to a number of other passages to show you this. I just really like this one, so we're going to look at this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. What that verse teaches us is that we become like our Lord as we behold our Lord. As we behold the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we become more loving ourselves. So here is how the Spirit does this great transforming work in us. It begins when we hear the gospel. We were just walking along in life, a heart full of stone, right? We did not care about God, not really. We did not really care about others, not in a God-glorifying way. We were just walking along in life, and we heard the gospel. And when we heard it, the Spirit opened our eyes to see how dreadful we were and to see how amazing Jesus is and to see how He loved us, how He loved us so much that He gave His life for us. And in that moment, we became so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus for us that we trusted Him. And now, as we heard that gospel about the love of Jesus, the Spirit gave us a new heart, a heart that began to respond to Jesus' love, a heart that began to respond with love for Christ. We love Him because He first loves us. We first receive His love. It, we see it displayed for us at the cross. We hear it communicated to us in the gospel, and our heart responds, and it responds with love back towards Christ. We begin to experience His love. We begin to live in the love of Christ. We begin to go deeper into Christ's love day after day. And what is the result? 
the more we know of Christ's love for us, the more we cannot help but overflow in love to Him. Day by day, we we come to the cross and we see what Jesus did for us there and we love Him. Our hearts becoming more and more soft. We cannot imagine having any other gods but Jesus. And when we see that we've made an idol out of something in our lives, we repent that we would put anything before Jesus and we weep. Because we love Jesus, we cannot imagine using His name in vain or treating Him with irreverence or failing to worship Him and honor Him on His day. You see, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, just become a part of who we are once we love Jesus. We don't even have to necessarily hear it taught. Here is how you are to live. It becomes how we want to live. Because we love Christ. And of course, as the Spirit works that in us, it causes us to love others as well. Through the gospel, we enter into the love of God. Through the gospel, we die to the law. We belong to Jesus. And the result is that the Spirit makes us people of love. And as we become people of love, we fulfill the law. This is the new way of service. This is that new way of life in the Spirit. It is having the law written onto our hearts. How? By becoming a people of love. Begins the moment you're born again. Begins the moment you experience the love of Christ for the first time. It continues forever and ever. So that's how it happens. That's how the New Testament explains this this idea of the law of God being written into us. Now, finally, let's see the new way of service contrasted with the old way of service. Let me mention four ways that they're different. Number one, the old way of service seeks to earn salvation. The new way of service shows gratitude for salvation. The old way of service was trying to fulfill the letter of the law so that I can be good enough for God to bless me. The new way of service rejoices that God has already blessed me immensely beyond anything I could ever imagine, certainly far beyond anything I deserve, not because of anything I've done, but because of Christ. The new way of service is not worried about earning salvation It is based in gratitude. It is based in love. I'm serving God because He's already saved my soul and He's been so good to me that I want to serve Him. Number two, the old way of service is man-centered. The new way of service is God-centered. The old way of service was focused on me. If I see that I'm failing in serving God... I'm going to be stressed out and depressed. If I think that I'm succeeding in serving God, I'm going to be prideful and self-righteous. I want others to see me serve God. I want God to give me a pat on the back and tell me how great I am as I serve God. That's the old way of service. Even though it's service to God, it's really service to self. The new way of service doesn't care about glorifying self. The new way of service is all about God. Hallowed be thy name. You've stopped living for your own glory. You are living for the glory of the God who's been so good to you. This is the God who gave His Son for you. This is the God in whom 
All wisdom and righteousness, justice and mercy, love and power all come together in in beautiful and perfect harmony. You are no longer so concerned about self. In fact, you would lay yourself down for the cause of God. Every day you lay yourself down in little ways, denying yourself this, sacrificing that in order to serve your Lord Jesus. Because your love, you are in love with God. And therefore your service is God-centered. He has your heart. That's the way of new life in the Spirit. Number three. The old way of service emphasized obligation. The new way of service emphasizes privilege. Old way is about obligation. New way is about privilege. The old way of service was about what you ought to do. I ought to do this. I must do that. I don't want to do this, but I have to, or God's going to be mad at me. The new way of service doesn't emphasize, I ought to do this, but I get to do this. Doesn't mean we don't need to hear the oughts from time to time. The New Testament has its oughts, so don't let me diminish the oughts here. But in the New Covenant, there's also this idea now of privilege. It isn't just that God is telling me I must do this. He's telling me this because He loves me and He knows what's best for me. And by doing this, I'm going to bring honor to His name. I get to do this. This is a radical change in perspective. Peter and the apostles get beat for preaching the gospel, and they rejoice that they had the privilege to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Right? They rejoice for the privilege of suffering for the sake of the gospel. That is a totally different mindset. For the Christian, serving God is a privilege. We desire to be useful to God. We desire to be a part of seeing His gospel spread. We want to be able to serve Him however we can. We rejoice in it. And then a fourth way is this. The old way of service was mainly about duty. The new way of service is mainly about delight. There's still duty there. The emphasis is on delight. The old way was about what we had to do to be right with God. Because of salvation in Jesus, God's commands are now about what we get to do. And that means greater joy for us. We are more and more seeing the wisdom of God's commands and more and more understanding that each and every one of His rules are filled with honey for us. And so as we believe that, God's commands become precious to us. His commandments become sweeter than honey out of the honeycomb. We begin to say with David, God's law is more precious to me than gold. We like obeying God. We like serving Him. We like keeping His commands. It's full of delight. Because it comes right from the heart of loving God. I want to show God my love. God, show me how I can show you my love for you. I can do that. I want to do that. So how does a Christian overflow in these things? I mean, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, this should already be true, at least to some degree in your life. 
If you're a true believer, you should already know something of what I'm describing. This deep desire to want to serve God and be useful to Him. You should know something of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not that you do it perfectly, but you can testify you have a deeper love for God than you've ever had for anyone or anything else in your life. And you want to be useful to Him. You want to serve Him. So you you can resonate with this. You, You understand what I'm explaining. How can you abound in this all the more? How can you abound in this new life of the Spirit? Well, the answer is by growing in your faith. Believe what God is telling you in Romans 7, 1 through 6. Believe that the law no longer has any power to condemn you. Believe that you have been rescued from its condemning power, that you are under grace. Rest on grace. Believe that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is your husband, your Savior. Believe that He loves you deeply. Believe that He loves you more than you can imagine. Believe this and work every day to keep your heart believing this. And as you preach the gospel to your soul every day, the Spirit will be at work, continually keeping your heart soft, full of love for God, full of love for others so that you will be fulfilling the law of God in your life and it will be almost natural for you. Habitual. Instinctual. Isn't that what we want? Our old way of living, we didn't have to work hard to sin. It just happened. We just sinned naturally. It was so easy to sin. But what the Spirit's doing now is He's making it easier for us to obey God and do what's right. Jesus said that this yoke would be easy, that this burden would be light. Why? Because by His Spirit, He's going to take... It's not that the commands become easier. Do you understand that? In fact, if anything, in the New Testament, the commands get harder, right? It's not just don't commit adultery, it's don't look at the woman. It's not just don't murder, it's don't even have the hateful thought. So it's not that the commands get easier in the New Testament. But it's that once you have a heart of love for God and a heart of love for others, well, if you love somebody else, you're not going to want to harbor hateful thoughts before to them, right? If you you love your wife, you're not going to go out and want to commit adultery or even look at that picture, right? So love changes everything when it's in the heart. And so what we have to do, by God's grace, is keep our heart aflame with love for God and love for others. And how do we do that? By living in His love for us. It was the gospel that brought us into this new way of service to begin with. It is the gospel that will keep us there. It is the gospel that will cause us to grow in serving God in this way. The deeper your roots go into the gospel, the more the Spirit will work love for God and love for others into your soul. And you will experience all the more new life of service to God. Amen?